we welcome you. There will be people coming in and out uh, over this next few moments. And uh, for the next 20 or 25 minutes, I want to interview two of the greatest uh, leaders that our church has ever known. And um, I want to just give them that. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they would never say that about themselves, but everybody says it about them, which says a great deal. Um, but I thought we would just talk a little bit about the history uh, because we're dedicating buildings today. I thought uh, Bill would lead, lead off, just talk a little bit about the buildings that were here when he came and what he built. Uh, and then Jimmy will do the same thing. We'll talk about ministry after that. And basically, I want us to talk about how God moved. What significant things did God do besides the buildings, besides the location, even though those are important details, those are the framework uh, in which God works in powerful ways. So, uh, Bill, I'm going to kick it off with you. We're just going to dialogue and talk, and I'm going to cut you off if it gets too long or if we talk about <laughs> Baylor football too long. It won't be the first time <laughs> that's happened. Uh, well, <clears throat> that's fun to think back about the past. I, th I think we ought to drive something down to start with, and that is <clears throat> a little idea, and that is that there's a geography of redemption. It all started at a cross in Jerusalem, near Jerusalem, and then in a missionary journey, Paul had a great vision. He was going to Asia, to Bithynia. God shut him down and turned him west. He went across to Macedonia. That's not Asia, that's Europe now. The gospel traveled west and north till it came to England and came from England here. So the point is there's a geography to your redemption story and to mine. Generally, Western civilization was born because he answered the vision. He was obedient to the vision of Macedonia, which caused the gospel to go west and not to east, not to Asia, but to the western, and produced for 2,000 years now Western civilization. And the gospel finally came here to a place called Euless, Texas. Some time ago, another word of introduction, I, I thought about a, uh, some, uh, an inscription on a building uh, down at Baylor where uh, my wife and I attended and finished. And uh, so I forgot it exactly. I've never quoted it, but I remember it. So I called down there two or three weeks ago and asked this girl. She was so gracious. She said, let me go outside and check. I don't really know. It's at the main administration building, Patton F. Administration. I said, it's on the west side. So in a minute, she says, here it is, here it is. I said, read it to me. She said, the preservers of culture are as heroic as the creators of culture. Think about it. The preservers of culture are as important, heroic, she said, as the creators. So all we're doing, as John said this morning, John's almost always right. I raise my hand when he's not. But he said, we're just passing on what was given to us. And there, therefore, is in your personal life and in our church's life, uh, a geography. Things happen at certain places. How many of you here remember where you were baptized? Now, look, I'm reading about Frederick Douglass, a phenomenal book, by the way. Uh, Kill Me, it's a recent book. You've got to read it. And, and, and Frederick Douglass says, I never met a slave who knew what his birthday was. He himself, like many slaves, did not know who his mother was. She was white. I mean, she was black. Did not know who his father was. But we know. And so, because we each have a geography. You remember, you ladies who the Bible says, a bride does not forget her wedding dress. You can't forget. Guys forget, but women don't. 
There's a geography. So Euless, Texas is a point of geography. And this church has sat here for all these years. How many now? 118 years. Yeah. That, that, that means, now listen carefully. This sounds exaggerated. It is not. Millions of lives have been touched. And they will look back at this some way or other as being a part of the geography of their personal story. I, I, in my humble but accurate opinion, uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in heaven listening to each other's geography of redemption, where you met Christ, where you confessed Christ, where you uh, uh, were baptized. Now, uh, when they tore the building down, building A, I had real trauma. That's not true. I didn't have any trauma at all. I love the building. I got to see the old brick, build, brick building, the red brick building. How many of you have seen it, the first one, before this? Very few have seen it. And it came down over there about the, the cross of Maine and Highway 10. But so when they tore the building down, a, uh, the A-frames down, we built the second one. The first one was here when I got here in 66. And then we built uh, that one and then this building. And uh, left Jimmy to pay for it because he came uh, pretty soon after I did. That's why I left, really. Uh, but um, so I asked one of the men when they tore the building down, can you save me a, a, one of those two by sixes? He said, I'll save enough for you to build a house with. You can have all of them you want. He gave me about six or seven two by sixes like that. I took them home, finally got the metal out of them because I sent them through my planer. I produced a half inch. A wood, and there's a box right there made out of that A-frame. Think about it. That wood is over 60 years of age. Of course, counting the growth pattern, that wood may be 100 years old. And uh, so each of the four kids, our four kids, Mark, Karen, Gan, Hazel, Karen is here, Karen may now, uh, they were baptized here because they received Christ here. And so this is a part, a very important part, of the geography of their own redemption. That one belongs to Karen and it has a brass uh, plate that says First Baptist Church Eulis, 1966-1975. So that's a part of the geography. Uh, one other word about that, uh, that is uh, that um, uh, you never forget those kinds of things. You know because it's a part of your life. And so uh, millions, uh, when I, we got down to Florida, uh, immediately I could see that we needed a crisis pregnancy center. That was coming into vogue at that time, so we looked all over the place, and there were several of them down there, but nobody was winning anybody to Christ. They were not evangelistic. So we got four or five preachers together, of course, all of them Baptist, and uh, they believed in evangelism. And so uh, I said, let's, let's do it. Independent Baptist guy said, fine, had some money. And they said, Anderson, you gotta get the bylaws, constitution and bylaws. Well, I knew from Karen that y'all had just built your crisis pregnancy center. I called her up and I said, I'm going to look real smart. Send me a copy of the Constitution bylaws. She did. We just changed the names and they think we figured it out. <laughs> but it was yours. That was 35 or 40 years ago. Listen carefully. It's still functioning powerfully today. It's a part of the geography of redemption. Millions of people have been touched because of the ministry of this uh, congregation. I'll stop there. That's because that's a good stopping place, but God be praised because those buildings were wonderful, but now they're, they're, it's, this is much better, of course. And we planted for those who were coming after us. I'm gonna, this is going to be on the final examination. The preservers of culture 
say it class, are as heroic as the creators of culture. So the creators of ministry are important, but so are the preservers of ministry. That's what's happening here. 118 years now. You got it, Jimmy. Time for the offering, by the way. Actually, there we go. All right. Actually, I am one month older than Bill. Thank you, Jesus. But the Lord just won't let me get gray hair, so I don't know how that works. But I do know how it works. <laughs> but uh, you may not know this. Bill's the one who recommended us here. Uh, he gave our name to the uh, search committee. 100000 uh, buck payoff. And, <laughs> and I think you left in August, and, and, I, and we came in November. That's pretty fast, isn't it? Uh, when I went to Dell City, Oklahoma... Uh, Don, John Masanio was a pastor. He, he gave two months' notice, told him to get a pulpit committee and go find a pastor. And believe it or not, three weeks after John left, I was the pastor. So that was a quicker one than this one, but this one's pretty fast. No, it's great. Bill uh, had given them my name, and uh, the church has had a great history. Uh, one, one of the things, I, I, could, I could tell you a lot of stories, but one of the things that you won't hear very many people talk about this was not a gossipy church. Amen. It's true. We saw things that were so sensitive, uh, even some things that involved uh, activity for which uh, there was, uh, uh, it was inappropriate, let's put it that way, that happened that, that nobody ever knew about because this, this was not a church that went around gossiping and talking about uh, what happened. And imagine when I came and Bill had it. Uh, uh, over the years, too, the, uh, Harold Samuels was the mayor. We had two or three of the city council. Uh, the city manager was a member of our church. Chief of police, a member of our church. I mean, it, uh, the, the city was very involved in the church, and yet things that, that the city knew that involved the church, most of the church folks never knew about it. And so it, it's a great compliment to the church because the church was, was made up of folks who understood that uh, they needed to create, uh, to be discreet, and understood they needed not to uh, propagate things that were inappropriate. And uh, I, I've been in a lot of churches over the years, and uh, that's, that, that's a rare quality for a church. May I say a word, Jimmy? You bet. I'm just going to say amen, because I was going to say, this was not a gossipy church, all of our history, and it's a church that didn't want to fight. I pastored uh, five churches and had 11 interims. And I pastored two churches that, that were terrifically political. Deacons were winking at each other. I thought they had a strange relationship. They were voting. Yeah. And uh, the last church I was in, I, I, they run the last five pastors off. And so I beat them to the punch in 22 months. I came here. <laughs> anyway, but the one thing I was going to say that I think is a secret to it, when, when Bill was pastor, when the A-frame building uh, here on, on the south uh, had a prayer room. And by the time I got here, the prayer room was not really that active, uh, did not have access uh, that was, that was uh, convenient. But uh, we, we put a prayer room, many of you remember right down at the end of this building. You never remember how it happened. Uh, Ron Dunn came and preached on a Sunday night to kick us off and get us excited about signing up. And it poured down rain. I mean, torrential rains. 
And so we, we filled up seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and then the rain stopped. <laughs> and so we, we had a great beginning. But I, I'm convinced that the reason for the, for, that, uh, for the success of the church has been because of the prayer room. Of thousands of prayer requests, thousands of God's documented answers to prayer. And uh, I, the church really went on the wings of, of the prayers of the people. And I think that's what kept the church to be a church that was united. Uh, we, uh, we never had uh, any great uh, fights in the business meeting. When I, in fact, it got, it got so common to have five, ten-minute business meetings, we went to, to every quarter. We didn't have it every month. We had it every quarter. Uh, it was just the church really wasn't that interested in all the details. Uh, they, they trusted each other. Now, that's been very important. And so I think everything, John, that happened here was uh, because of, of the, the, the fact that prayer was a real focal point. It's, it was behind the scenes, and uh, it was, it's just a permanent reminder that God always honors people who pray. And that's very, very big thing here. Let me just say this. Um, I think some of you were in the room uh, last week uh, when I mentioned that when we began to defurnish the building, the A-frame buildings you're talking about, where the prayer rooms were, we found the altar uh, in the prayer room that had been there for many years. And uh, we took it, and uh, Gloria has that and, and has uh, jobbed out the responsibilities of re-upholstering the cushions and uh, refinishing the wood. And that's going to occupy a new prayer room that will be around the perimeter of the uh, worship center uh, because the coffee shop is open all day, all day long, many, many more hours. You can access it that way. So that prayer room is going to be re-inaugurated, re-kicked off. It's just something that we thought, because of what you said, right. prayer really does pave the way for what God is going to do in the future. And let me also say, I've experienced this business meeting thing he's mentioned that People are not there in this church for the purpose of quibbling over those kinds of things. They're, they're about the bigger mission. They're about the bigger mission of reaching people with the gospel and discipling people. And that, that, that's where a healthy church is, like that. Right. Yeah, uh, let me say amen to that. I was going to say, when I thought last night about it, the church did not want to gossip much. I'm sure some did. The church, uh, yeah, things happened that were people would have gone to prison over, that's right. uh, but nobody ever knew about it. Uh, some of them are sitting out here now. Uh, and and uh, one of the things that was so obvious about the church is that it did not want to fight. They say uh, if, if a man is a great man, it's hard to get him into a fight. But if you ever get him into a fight, you're sorry you did. But he just wouldn't fight. We made decisions, big decisions, about building this building, for instance. This building was built on a substitute motion and uh, carried 92% secret ballot. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal. Some churches, their DNA is to fight. They know how to fight, but nothing else. And I think it's remarkable. The other thing is, I never sensed, I'm serious before God here, that anybody wanted to be top dog. The, the, the names I could mention, Coy Moon, uh, Bob Eden, uh, Harold Samuels, uh, Blaze Tibbetts, et cetera. Those men, could, they could dominate a church in a heartbeat if they wanted to for a lot of reasons. They were powerful, smart men. That's right. But none of them wanted to do it. And they would say, let's get some younger guys involved, the business meetings. We never came close to a fight. That's rare. That's very rare. So what are some of the high points spiritually of your time here and some of the low points spiritually? Well, it never was a low point. It was all high. Now, it's a good question. I, the, the one story I'll tell you about that, uh, 
in the, in the 60s, late 60s, or 70s, the Jesus movement swept the country. And I'm telling you, it seemed like every prayer we prayed was answered and everybody was lost got saved. I mean, it was just a revival. It, it was a revival spirit across the country. But I'll tell you a little story about this church and a mission project. You've got to hear. Some will remember it. And so we began a ministry down in Mexico, a little place called Nueva Progreso, down far San Juan Alamo, that area. Nothing down there. Just across the river. I'd heard that there was a town, a, a group of about 12 or 1,300 Mexicans down there. They had no, no school in the town. They had no church of any kind in the town. That's impossible, but that was the case. Long story short, I sent Joe Dunham down. You remember Joe Dunham's name? A great guy uh, drafted by the Red Sox as a pitcher. I wouldn't say Joe was stingy, but he was frugal. That's how I'd put it. And he, he was a deacon. I said, Joe, go look at it, and if, if, I want to hear what you say. Joe flew down there. He came back and stood in the pulpit. And this big guy, man's man, he started crying. He cried like a baby for a while. He said, the Bible, Jesus said, they were like sheep having no shepherd. He said, I never knew what that meant, but I know what it means. Long story short, we started building stuff down there. We built a school. We built a church. Uh, we had a, a five or six preacher boys and a big old rambling house. It's all across the border. And you just waited across the river. And, uh, and it was a phenomenal ministry, and we sent stuff out for years. And one, two, two pieces of that story you want to hear, and that is uh, there was a guy down there with the exotic name of Ed Smith. Ed was the best director of missions I've ever met in my life. And he was a spiritual man. He loved God, and he was our go-to guy down there. And so he called me one day and said, Anderson, I'm going to tell you something about First Baptist Euless. All kinds of churches send stuff down here, used stuff, clothes, or shoes, or whatever. He said, First Baptist Church Euless is the only church that collects shoes for boys, used shoes, of course. They polish those shoes, and they put new shoe strings in them. You cannot possibly imagine how happy these Mexican boys are who've never worn shoes to have a shoe that's been polished I never thought about it, but that's, a, that's part of the DNA. Better Jean Moon was, of course, as you would guess, a big part of that. But what happened is, when we, I kept on encouraging them, and so they built these buildings, and they began a school, and uh, teaching these kids, there was no school in town. We sent machines down there, business machines, simple ones back in those days, of course. And so when uh, we, we took an eight-month course, and the first graduating class, there were about 27 kids and so Ed calls me and says, you come down here, the building, we're going to dedicate it and, and show you these, let you hear these kids. And so I said, I'm busy. I, I, I can't have time. This Euless place is crazy. I got to stay here. I can't get down there. He gave me a lecture. Yeah, you, you boys, you go up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area and you get up at the, you ain't got time for us common people. And he went, I mean, he drug me through it. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, okay. Well, it was a guy, uh, George Craddock, he had a little plane about that long, a little money, four-seater. He said, let's go down there. I said, okay, fine. I was not designed to be in a small airplanes. I can write a book about that. We fly down there. It's hot. And I got so sick. I mean, I was just, and, he, and it was a cloudy day, and he couldn't find a way to land. He couldn't see below the clouds. And we flew around. He found a hole. He said, there's a hole. I'm, I'm headed for it. By the time we hit the ground, I, I threw up stuff I'd eaten two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, man, I was sick. 
And I was mad at Ed for getting me down there. But here are these 24, 25 kids. They had white shirts or blouses, blue skirts or pants, and they began singing songs about Jesus while one of them played the guitar. He told me every single one of them got saved, 25 or six of them. And then we go over there. to He's got a curtain about this big on this building. He pulls it back, and there's my name engraved on it. He said, Anderson, that's why we wanted you here, because they'll put your name on that stone, that rock. I said, Ed Smith, listen carefully. I would rather have my name on those Mexican kids than have my name on all the buildings in the, uh, in the nation of Mexico. It was a fabulous ministry. I don't know what's happened to it now, but what a time. And what a guy who helped us, the exotic Ed Smith. Yeah, we just hit a couple of high points. I think one of the real high points for us while we were here was the Crisis Pregnancy Center. At that time, we were the first church, evangelical church west of the Mississippi that had uh, had a, a pregnancy center. And of course, as, as you mentioned today, uh, actually it's closer to 40,000. You said 35,000. It's, it's uh, almost 40,000 now that have come babies that have been born that women came through the center. So that was an important thing. Another thing that, that made an incredible impression uh, was when we started doing mission trips. At one time, we were going, sending about 100 people a year overseas, and I mean, we went all the way from Brazil to uh, Kenya and, and around. That created a subculture that was healthy. The people who went had a bond that bound them together, and they became, uh, the, you know, their intensity and their passion spread, spread to others was a super thing, and, uh, and, and just opened the door for us to, uh, uh, to, to just, we grew, for the first 10 years here, we grew at 17% a year, which is incredible. I mean, it was just remarkable. And the biggest two years of growth was while I was president of the convention. I was gone all the time during the week and only got here on Sundays, and we had 2,500 additions in two what years. That what does that tell you And uh, <laughs> So I, t I tell people, and I, I'll, I will say it again, when I, when I was nominated to be president of the convention, I had told the, the um, deacons that uh, it was not my decision to make, it was our decision to make because I, the demands it would be upon me to be gone. And, uh, and I'll never forget, they, they ask every month, because uh, I, I had a call from Bob Eklund, who was over at Hearst at the time. He said, we want to let people know we'd like for you to be nominated for president. I said, well, if you'll call around and find out. I gave them about 25, 30 names you call, and if they all say they, they think it's a good idea, well, I'll, I'll pray about it then. And uh, so they came back. Everybody was positive on it. And uh, so, and every month, the deacon, uh, Harold Samuels, chairman, every month he said, well, what's, how, what's the status of that? And finally, in May, uh, he asked, and I said, uh, if, well, if the convention were today, and if, if uh, you all approve, I would probably be nominated. He said, well, you mind going home? And I said, no, I'm happy to go home. Always happy to not go to deacons meeting. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, he told me to go home. And the deacons spent about an hour and a half, came up with a wonderful letter, essentially saying that if God uh, is in this and you get elected, we'll stand in the gap. We'll free you up to leave and be gone at, at whatever amount of time you need to be. And at that time, the deacons got a financial report and different things, and, and it's kind of like a, a preparation for a business meeting. 
But, but beginning with that, the deacons meeting consistent of the mission of the ministry teams giving reports on what they, you know, they had visitation, they had the uh, crisis teams, they had uh, uh, the people in benevolence, they had, had widows ministry, a lot of different ministry. They'd report on those teams. And, and I really believe, and I tell you, the, the growth of the church was not, I had nothing to do with it. I showed up and just enjoyed the Sundays where 30, 40 people a week were joining. But it was, the, it was the deacons and the church that rallied together to, to do the things that normally the pastor would, would be expected to, to uh, have some part in it. And, uh, and so it, it just, it's, it, it's, so many things happened. And now, now hear this. I prayed every Sunday God would do something we hadn't planned. Something that wasn't in the bulletin. And, and the truth is, the growth of this church is like that. Bill and I just happened to be here. But it was God doing things that nobody expected, but that everybody recognized God was doing it. And that's, that's been the, the history of the church. And that's why uh, for us, uh, you know, we always plan to come back. When, when we left to go to the Sunday school board, uh, y'all had, a, uh, had us sit right here in the altar and everybody got around us and prayed. And, and the message was that the, they said, now when you get through, come back. And so for 15 years, I preached to to strangers every week, and it was really wonderful to come back and know somebody. And, uh, it, and so, you know, it, 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 it's just uh, uh, the, in the DNA of the church, and Bill and I would both tell you that these were, were happy, happy years here. And, uh, uh, and, of course, Bill and I have been friends for uh, over 70 years now, and uh, the, uh, I, I shouldn't tell you this, but he called me one day uh, when I was – about 68, 69 years old at Lifeway. He said, it's time for you to come home. He said, I'm back and I'm in the church. You need to, get, you need to come down here. Well, he was chairman of the trustees that brought me to the Sunday school board. <laughs> he recommended me here, and then he was chairman of the trustees asked me to come be president of the Sunday school board. So I told myself, well, you've been telling me what to do for 25 years. I might as well come home. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, so it, it, it's funny how, you know, Bill and I have known each other so long trust each other, love each other. Our daughters room together in Baylor. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, of and, your, and his, Bill's kids all stayed in the church after he left. Great kids, all of them. So, uh, you know, we had a revival in 1983 that God just moved in. We, we had to extend it. Uh, some of you here, I know several of you here, uh, were saved during that revival. We had over 500 professions of faith in a two-week period. Bailey Smith was here and preached for a week, and then he left and went home. And I preached on Sunday. He left. On, he preached Saturday night and left before the invitation. I gave the invitation. Next morning, I preached. And that day, we had over 30 people saved. So I said, well, y'all come back tomorrow night. And, 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 that, and, and so they came. We, we, we just about filled the auditorium up on Monday night. So after the service, I said, well, come back tomorrow night. And we did that all the way to Friday. And by the time it was over with, we had over 500 people uh, who made professions of faith. And uh, the... Uh, Amazing thing was, it was just God was all over the place. We'd, we wouldn't get home until 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Nobody wanted to leave. And people would come in off the street and they wanted to get saved. And it was, it was a great time. But only a church that God had prepared like he prepared this church uh, to, to the kind of people to be could have had something like that and, and moved through it happily. And it was amazing. I, I had a footnote about, yeah, I say amen to all that. Uh, when you talk about spiritual gifts, uh, 
when I was at the Sunday School Board, I, I knew, well, w before I left, I called Jimmy and asked him if he'd consider coming here. And uh, he said, well, I'd consider it, of course. Long story short, I go down to Florida. I get a call within 90 days uh, from Harold Samuels, and he said, uh, we believe Jimmy's the guy, but you've only been gone 90 days. And so we're, we're afraid to move that quickly. I said, well, you got a chapter and verse for that? I, that's what I told him. I said, is he God's man? He said, yeah. I said, get him before three other churches do. But, you know, it, 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 Jimmy did, he played a lot of roles well. The pastoral roles, of course, and then the Sunday school board is phenomenal. job. There's president of the convention for those two years. And what that says, again, it's back to the geography of redemption. It's about how people from this church representing this church. We always told them where our church was. Nobody ever doubted that. We were from the First Baptist Church of Eulis, and we're proud of their church. My goal in life was to live in such a way that my church would be proud that I was their pastor. Jimmy must have felt the same way because they always have been. That's all I got to say. You know, the, the story that we don't tell much is uh, when I was coming in Beaufort Call, you were interim pastor at the time. Both of you were in town. And there was some date at which I was supposed to come and meet with the church. And, I, and I, just from the conversation our church team had, uh, your, both of your names were brought up a, a great deal. And I didn't know either one of you. I knew you by reputation. And all I knew was good, just like all I knew at First Eulis was good. Um, but I asked the search team, you need to fly me in. I need a day with these two guys. And uh, so they complied. Uh, I lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the time. So it was a 15-hour drive, and they said, go ahead and fly in. So you guys picked me up either at the airport or here, and, and uh, we drove to your house. And we went in your library. They remember it like it was yesterday. And, and you guys just, you know, you either vetted me or you got to know me or you interviewed me or you gave me these piercing looks that said, I'm going to try to look into your soul here in this few hours. <laughs> and all that says is this. It says that these two guys love the flock here at, at this church. That's what it says. It says they are true pastors, true leaders. It wasn't about anything except trying to get discernment about who is this person the search team is bringing. And with that, you gave me the assurance if God worked and I was called here, you would uh, stand behind me personally and help me in any way. And you have kept that promise. Both of you have kept that promise in ways that are both amazing, prophetic, and even humorous in how you've done that. It's just been amazing. And these guys need to be commended for passing the baton in the way they did. You ought to give them a hand right now for that. Because I, that's a big deal. A big deal. And I don't know that it's happened anywhere else like this with not one, but two great legacy leaders that are in the church. Well, uh, and I, I, I'll have to say this. Don't give Bill and me all the credit. He was vetting us at the same time. Because <laughs> imagine pastoring a church and two former pastors totaling 25 years of ministry are in the church. So he wanted, I'm sure he wanted to know what he was going to find if he got here. And uh, so it worked out great. But we, we both uh, fell in love with John. Uh, I, I tell folks, look, if you're ever going to criticize your pastor, do not come to me because I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand for it. That was my wife's big rule. Don't come with her criticizing some <laughs> preacher. Oh, my gosh. So anyway, we, uh, we're grateful for the way you have led, and, and I just couldn't, I couldn't think that we walked out into the commons a while ago. When I came, when Bill left, we had a, the foyer started about those doors there, and it was about that wide. And we had two outside doors that opened 
right outside and right into the auditorium. And so when we built our, the first building uh, where our offices, uh, main offices are now, I told, them, I, said, I told the committee, I said, I want you to give me $100,000 to do something. They said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to enlarge the foyer. And so they did. And so we brought the foyer all the way past. The doors were right over here. So now we had a foyer that was almost 100 yards long. I walked out in the commons while I go, and I thought, now look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe we've got two or three acres under, under the, uh, out there in the commons now. But uh, it, 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 it's a reflection of the, of the need for the people to enjoy each other, have a place to visit. And uh, the, the, the project that we are, we are now completing is absolutely amazing, and we, we're, we're both thrilled about that. My first Sunday here, there was this big sign in, inside the building that said our goal for the high attendance day in six weeks is 420 in Sunday school. They had to take it down because they didn't reach it. <laughs> I get to laugh with these guys behind the scenes, Sam. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the weeks we were going back and forth with a group text, he and I, and uh, Jimmy and Bill and I. And it was going to be about what verse we're going to put on, on a stone out here. And so I, I gave them about eight or ten verses and asked them to think about it and asked them if they had any input. Bill's input was, just be sure you spell my name right, Bill said. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> I had to tell him later, Bill, we couldn't get your name on. There just wasn't enough room for Bill on that. We'll have other chances. <laughs> But, you know, this, this, this whole idea of this, this, uh, this uh, Generations Project that we're looking at in reality today, these guys were back there with us talking about this two years and three years ago. And uh, Jimmy went from home to home on some of the vision meetings that we had, I think five of them in all, and shared a historical perspective and, and looked ahead. And each time, uh, he was able to bring incredible details to the group that was listening. And each time, to our surprise, he would make a statement about his own personal financial commitment to this project. And there was just a powerful way to lead when you say, I'm behind this, but not only am I behind this, I'm going to write a check to help this happen. That makes people say, well, if he's for it, I mean, if Jimmy's going to do it, if Bill's okay with this and they're going to do that, then it helps everybody else have confidence to do that. And that, that's part of the great leadership we've had. Let me ask you this. Um, so buildings are finished. Different world, different world. I remember a few years ago, you said this. It was at least 15 years ago, 12, 14 years ago. You came into a room. We were kind of talking about the future with a group of deacons, and you said, uh, everything's different about the way church is today. Back in my day, we had one version of the Bible. We had one hymn book. We had one order of the service. Uh, the music minister would pick out three hymns, whichever three. We'd have a service, you know, one kind of invitation, on and on. Today you have a million uh, decisions to make every day. And, um, and it's true. It's, it's, it's become more complex over the years. There's no doubt about it. But given where we are, what's your dream for the future? The dream is not a building. What's beyond that? For the church that you pastor, that you laid a foundation for, Bill, what's your dream? Just what are your thoughts? I, I, I think it's, the problem is it's so simple. The preservers of culture are as heroic as the creators of culture. So Paul said, I've given to you, I know you don't know 1 Corinthians very well. <clears throat> He'd been preaching about it two years. <clears throat> he said, Paul said, I, I'm giving to you precisely what was given to me. So it's not the building, though they're important. And this is futuristic. Uh, this is modern. If you don't like this, something's wrong. 
but it's the same message, which as you said this morning, can never get old. And when somebody gets saved, it's the newest thing in the universe. The thing that, with all the convention message we've had in recent years, this is one of the churches that stayed true and said, no matter what they think about us, we're not gonna be mean, we're gonna be kind, but we're going, it's always about the Bible. It's always, is it true or is it not true? And as long as you stay lashed to that, you're going to be fine because that meets the need of every human that's ever been born. I don't have to ask him what his need is. He might not know it, but I know what it is because it happened to me, again, the geography of redemption. It's the same. as We'll be telling that when Jesus comes again. That's, that's the future. Whatever this looks like, it looks great. If they, don't, if they want a new building, you got it. But it's about... Everybody believing that, preaching that. A woman walked out one day and she said, Pastor, I'm so glad my kids hear the same thing at home, in a Christian school, in my church. You can win. Well, I, you know, I, pretty simple. Life's not complicated for me. It's not rocket science. I mean, the Bible gives us clear instructions. Let's just do it. You know, I mean, it's... It's not complicated. You know what the AT&T says now in all those commercials? Our other mission of the church is not complicated. Here's what I, my prayer is. We're going to be debt-free. Yeah. Uh, that means uh, the, uh, uh, I mean, that's huge. I mean, you're talking about with a, what, a $7 million budget now. Uh, typically, you would, we would owe 25% of that in debt service. That's gone. So my prayer is, the most dangerous time for any business or any church is when they ha have money in the bank. My prayer is that we'll be wise stewards of the money that would have gone into debt service and invested in ministry, and that we'll maintain the unity of the faith. Uh, see, Christians are united until somebody messes it up. And that's why Paul said in, in Ephesians 3, he said, now I want you to maintain, guard, protect the unity of the faith. We can't create unity. Only God can do that, but we can sure mess it up. So every one of us, every one of us ought to be a committee of one to say we're going to be the one to, to be a part of the unity of the church. And so I pray that we'll move together together and we'll use the money wisely that would have gone into to debt service. And, and it's going to be critical for how we strategize the use of that. And uh, that we always remember that uh, we have a global assignment, and yet we also have a local assignment. And uh, conduct ourselves with integrity. Uh, you know, uh, the Bible, particularly Proverbs, talks about the, the, the value of a good name. The church has a good name. And, uh, and we all need to maintain a good name individually and corporately. And so I, I just pray for the unity of the church and wisdom to really invest in things that help reach people for Christ that would have gone into debt service. It's, that's wonderful to have that gone. Well, you could preach that. You could publish that in a book as well, couldn't you? And I've told these guys before, all I want to do in life is grow up to be like them when I get older. I mean, that's just a good, worthy goal for me as a pastor, as a leader, as a man. And, uh, and you guys have set a great example. What's the greatest message you believe you preached here? The one that you look back at and say, man, God, God used that in a big way. I have no earthly idea. The one message that I preached here, well, I'll tell you what it was. Before you built these walls here, there were five uh, stone, stained glass windows. And so on a Sunday night when we first dedicated this building, 
I took one of the Psalms and I named the five windows. We named them glory and honor and grace and whatever. And so the next day in the staff meeting, I said, if you can't repeat what I said last night, you don't get to stay on the staff. So I had fun with that one. But I don't remember any other specific. I'll I, I tell you, I've, my first memory, it took, just took uh, four guys to take up the offering. Four guys. So Billy Owens, he's in the back too, and Ralph Roberts is right in front of him. Y'all know them? Well, Billy Owens, just as they get there, they're very, very, very staid and very formal, and they'll carry them with the plates out, four of them, to get back there. I'm up here. I haven't preached yet my first Sunday. And Billy Owens reach up, reaches up and grabs Ralph back here. And Ralph, the, the, the money does like this. And I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, what am I into here? Can I back out at this point? Well, uh, you know, I think the... Uh, I would say the theme, my first message here was on the Lordship of Christ. And uh, I believe that the ever, whatever else I preached or however I preached it, uh, the important thing was the Lordship of Christ. Uh, if Jesus is Lord, things are going to be okay. When he's not, it's going to screw up. And uh, it's, it's, it's simple. It's not rocket science. Jesus is Lord. Now put that in your life. Work it out. It's going to be okay. I'll tell you, let me give you a word. To everybody out who wonders, I've been preaching for 60 years, been a pastor for 60 years right at that. There, I, I never stood in any pulpit one time in my life that I did not feel an immense privilege to be able to preach the Word of God to somebody. From the first time I stood to the last time, I, I didn't try to do that. I just, God has given me this sense of privilege to speak, think of it, to speak the word of God to mortal souls and know we're all going to spend eternity somewhere based on their response to what he said in the book. What a privilege. Yeah, let, let me quickly say, I asked my granddad one day, I started, I preached my first sermon when I was 14, started preaching revivals when I was 17, and, uh, but I always got nervous, I mean, when I got up to preach. And so I asked my granddad, who had preached for 54 years, he was dying of cancer, and I was up there to see him after my freshman year in Baylor. And I said, Granddad, when do you stop getting nervous when you preach? And he said, Little Jimmy, he was only five, six. I wasn't much bigger, but he called, always called me Little Jimmy. When you stop getting nervous, you better stop preaching. And the point is, to what Bill just said, listen, the pastor stands here to deliver a message from God Almighty. That is an enormous task. You, you cannot imagine the, the pressure that every pastor feels at his heart when he stands to preach because he's, he's trying to tell folks what God said. And so we, if your pastor didn't do anything but preach, it's an enormous task. And what he was saying was, what my granddad was saying was, son, uh, when you stop getting nervous, that means you've got where you think you can do it, that you don't need God, and you go screw it up. So don't mess it up. So, so my prayer every Sunday morning was, God, don't let me do something to obscure the message. You know, I mean, this is your message, not mine. So it doesn't matter what they think of my message. Just make sure they get yours. That's a huge thing. And I, yeah. If your heart is not thumping before the kickoff, you're not ready to play football. That's right. Some pastors say that, since we're talking about preaching, and most of y'all know that much of the week of a pastor is spent in preparation for that message that they're to bring on that, on that Sunday, or those messages that week. Some guy said, feels like I've conceived a baby on Monday, 
giving birth to it on Sunday, and all the travail that comes with that, and all the waiting, and all the, uh, the growth from just the seed all the way to the end of the message. And it is a big deal. It's a big life, life-changing, life-giving thing. Uh, but it's what people need in order to yeah, have and, life. And let me just say that it took me. I, now, I did, I, I was a, the young pastors today, I, I don't understand because they don't think they have to preach all the sermons. I thought I had to preach all the sermons. So I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. I had three messages. It took me about 30 to 35 hours every week to be ready to preach. Now, that was in addition to anything else. Whatever else happened, that had to happen. And so it, it's, it, it's, again, it, Bill and I share the, the same thing. We shared much of the same experiences like this. But just knowing how important it is to deliver a word from God and the pressure that puts on you and the time that it takes. And the average church member will never fully appreciate the time the pastor puts in to, to, through the Holy Spirit's leadership to craft a message. I mean, it, it is an art, but more than that, it's, it's a special project of the Holy Spirit in a pastor's life. And that's why we ought to love and respect the pastor because he's, he's not here to be approved or disapproved. He's not here to please us. He's here to please the Lord. There's something great about Baptists, and that is that I asked a Catholic uh, funeral director asked me one time, John, and Jimmy he said, uh, Pastor, he said, what is your security as a Baptist pastor? Y'all sign contracts? And I said, my security is to know for sure that I have no security. You got to get used to that. They can fire me the next business, but he couldn't believe it. They can fire you without cause. I said, any one of them can stand up and make a motion to fire the pastor. He couldn't believe it. But again, that's a part of the call of the ministry, and you got to get at peace with that. If he can't take care of you, you're sunk anyway. You go, of course, you live that. You both have lived that. But what's security? I mean, he's in charge. That's not just a sermon. We believe that and know that. He's going to come through. Well, just one other thing. The three of us represent over 40 years of pastor ministry in this church. So that's, that's amazing, and, and, uh, and, and as Bill indicated, many of these people have been here for 50 years or more, and uh, I won't tell you how old I am, but uh, I've been preaching a long time, when I, <laughs> 50 years ago. So. Yeah. By the way, there's a guy you know, uh, T.D. Hall sitting right there, yeah. and T.D. was a faithful and loyal pastor at First Hearst. I kept him straight for all the years he was there. It's good to see him here. So, you guys in the room today, thank you so much for being with us today. These two guys are champions, and you know it. And uh, I'm going to close this in a word of prayer in just a moment. Uh, we were supposed to keep this to 45 minutes, but with two preachers like that, how can you possibly do that, right? And why would you want to do that? So, um, plenty of opportunities for you to hang out with them uh, on the, on the uh, up front. And uh, I'm just grateful for them, grateful for you. We want you to keep praying for the future of this church because God has laid a foundation very intentionally from the, before the foundation of the world to reach people, to disciple them, to impact communities. And, man, that's what we're going to do, and we're excited about that. Let me lead us in prayer. Give these guys a hand before I do that. Would you do that? Thank you, man. Thank you. Look at that. Amen. Father, I want to thank you so much that we could just reminisce and think not about just thoughts and ideas and happy feelings and happy times, but real, tangible, 
times of leadership, times of laying foundations, times of decision-making that lead us to today and into the future. Thank you, Father, for having gone before us with leaders like this and others that we haven't named today that have done the same thing, that have listened to you and have obeyed you and have led their congregations, and for the congregations to be filled enough with faith to make those decisions and move forward in ministry. And because of that, there's light in this community and, and really across the world. And Father, I ask you to let the light shine brighter in the days ahead. Let us be wise as we move forward, just as these two men have given us counsel to do, and to invest wisely and to make sure the message is the same. Thank you, Father, for ensuring that for us. It's our job to ensure it for the future. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.